This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. We've got a fun show for you today because we're talking about a fun sport, professional wrestling. Pro wrestling is one of the most unusual sports out there since the outcomes are predetermined and drama takes center stage. But as our guest today, reporter Stephen Montemayor, will tell you, the athletic feats happening on those stages are real, and so are the risks that the athletes are taking. And it just so happens that Minnesota has made big contributions to the development of pro wrestling. That's what we're going to be talking about on today's show. This question came from reader Casey Carmody, a pro wrestling fan who wanted to know more about Minnesota's place in the history of the sport. I've been a fan of professional wrestling for a while, uh, and really I like the history and kind of the performance and just kind of the, the general circus of it. And I really got interested in asking this question because I was chatting with some friends about how the World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, uh, was considering Minneapolis as one of the finalists for uh, WrestleMania, the big uh, wrestling event uh, the WWE holds each year. And, you know, it just kind of got me thinking about, oh, yeah, Minnesota really has a, a good, long history with wrestling, you know, from the the territorial days with, you know, things like AWA to a, a governor who, <laughs> who was a former wrestler. And then also, you know, a lot of the, the local indie scene, uh, the ones that I think about you know, most often is First Wrestling uh, that does Wrestlepalooza still at First Avenue uh, and, and watching those guys. And so it just seems to be kind of part and parcel of Minnesota. So I was really curious uh, about why that was. Thanks to Casey for submitting that question. And here's my conversation with Stephen. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, one of the fun parts of my job is that we get a question like this and I can sort of ping the newsroom and see who's passionate, who like likes this topic. And you are you're a fan. And so I think that's what you bring a lot to this because you grew up watching this sport. So tell us a little bit about you and what your background is sort of watching this. Yeah, well, like a lot of people that I spoke to for this story, it was just something that I became really passionate about as a, as a, as a kid growing up, probably eight years old or even you know, earlier than that, mm-hmm. and you know, followed it quite closely, both uh, on weekly television shows, uh, was scouring the internet for as much information as I could find, and you know, just consumed you know, magazines and, and, and old videos, and just kept, kept watching and watching, and then um, you know, sort of fell out a little bit around high school, and then picked it back up again during the pandemic when mm-hmm. we're all looking for things to do, and right. you know, it was easy to find some good stuff on uh, on streaming. Okay, let's talk about pro wrestling. You know, like it or not, I think that this is a sport that generates some eye rolls from people. Not everybody takes it seriously, but it clearly has staying power. It clearly has a huge fan base. So, tell us a little bit about make the case for about this for us because it's one of the most unusual sports out there. Um, and so just tell us a little bit about what, what's the deal with this sport? I like to sort of describe it as theater. You know, it's something that will incorporate a lot of, you know, it's athleticism mm-hmm. and some pretty amazing, you know, physical feats, which by themselves, which by the way, are themselves not at all, uh, you know, fake. We're, we're, we're talking about a lot of, you know, pretty risky, 
an impressive you know, physical you know, feats there, but at the same time, it, it, it brings in a lot of theater, a lot of storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, in some cases comedy, in some cases you know, drama. Mm-hmm. So it really covers the spectrum there to where you know, it, there are predetermined outcomes to these stories, but that's it. They, they, that's just it. They're stories. Like, you know, it's, it's, right. not, it's, it's not as if we're all you know, going to Hamilton and, and, and mm-hmm. kind of quibbling over whether that really was Hamilton on the stage, right. for example. So it's really about how you sort of approach it. Like if you approach it trying to equate it with, you know, like who's going to win a running race or, you know, something right. like that, it's not, that's not the right attitude to have. It's exactly. really about the, it's about the theater. And it has roots in sort of Greco-Roman style wrestling, except there's fewer chairs being smashed over people's exactly. heads in that kind yeah. of wrestling, right? Yeah. Okay. Some people may have heard the name Vern Gagne. I had heard it. I had seen it in our coverage. I didn't really know why this was significant. And then when you hear the story, both on the national level and on the local level, you realize that this guy, he's the forefather of at least the Minnesota wrestling scene. So to start this story, we have to go back to the 1940s. So talk to me about Vern Gagne in the 1940s. Well, that time he was he was starring as a as a football player and, and, and collegiate wrestler for University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, he very soon after you know, graduating gets an offer to play football for the Chicago Bears, which at that time you know, certainly was not on the same level as getting an NFL contract offer today. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though he was turning down millions to go on in, into wrestling. But in fact, he went on to a career in pro wrestling that made him many, many times more money over than what he would have gotten as a Chicago Bear at that time. Okay. And, uh, that was where, uh, you know, he first gets into the industry and spends about a decade before uh, he and a pr- promoter named Wally Carbo purchased the rights to the Minnesota Boxing and Wrestling Club, mm-hmm. uh, which they turn into the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, in, the, okay. in around 1960. Okay. And so this is one of these territories, right? Yeah. The AWA would be a territory? Right. And so Minneapolis, is, in terms of being a hub, it's basically the headquarters for the AWA's territory. And the mm-hmm. territory would extend certainly from Minneapolis on up to Canada, uh, parts of Canada. You've got Chicago as part of that. You've got um, you know as far out west as, as San Francisco as well. Okay. And so people are getting this stuff weekly on TV, right? I mean, it's being fed to them. And the AWA, like, uh, tell us a little bit, because this is where it really gets to be a popular sort of well-known thing, right, is through television. Oh, yeah. Everywhere, everything from the wrestlers themselves to the personalities on, you know, on commentary, the interviewers, mm-hmm. the uh, managers, you just have this giant pool of personalities and characters that would later go on to great success elsewhere, too. But while they were here, they were, you know, as as popular as it gets as well. And anything from, a, you know, heroes and villains and so forth, uh-huh. uh, that was something that was on full display on a weekly basis on television, but also in uh, the... Uh, arenas around the Twin Cities, okay. you would have these TV shows that would serve as not just your weekly entertainment, but oftentimes they would be promoting an event that some cases would be happening. And because this was often a pre-recorded television show, they would be promoting an event that'd be happening later that night. Okay, and and you'd have fans flocking to uh, arenas around here. In some cases, drawing more of of, of an audience than right. the Minnesota Twins game going on the same day. And what general time frame are we talking about now? The AWA was you know in existence. From you know the early '60s up until 
uh, late 80s, you know, or about 1990, 1991. Okay. So Gagne, he starts as an athlete. He becomes a businessman. He launches this promotion. They're on TV. They're doing well. But Gagne's still in the ring. I mean, he's part of the, he's a star of his own company in a sense, right? Yeah, he was the, he was their top star, their top champion several times or quite a few times during the, the time that he was still active in the ring. I think by the time that he retired, he was in his mid-50s even, uh-huh. uh, which was you know, quite a feat. Okay, but he's running this promotion, he's in the ring, and he's got this wrestling school, and they're churning out wrestlers, many of whom are going on to big things. So tell us about this school, because it's a very unusual school, too. Yeah, so he very much is responsible for training a whole slew of eventual Hall of Fame-level talent. And, you know, I spoke with a local wrestling historian named George Shire, and he had tallied up upwards of 150 top main event level stars that came out of this school over the years that mm. uh, that it was active. It was, uh, you know, six hours a day, uh, six-day-long school that would happen on a, an annual basis uh, held inside of a barn on Gagne's property in Minnesota. and At Eden Prairie. Yeah, around, around that area. Um, and This is like an, I think you mentioned, an unheated barn. Right, right. Like that's a, that's another winter. famous part of the, the retelling of the story. And, you know, I've seen, certainly I've seen footage of it. To, there, does not at all dispel that. You've got people that are that are bundled up, that are being uh-huh. you know slammed on a probably not very soft surface given the the time of year. Right. Uh, and so you, yeah, you had you had a just a whole lot of eventual pro wrestling luminaries that emerged from this. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Ric Flair, who is seen as by by many as you know the greatest pro wrestler of all time. You had uh, Kurt Henning and Rick Rude, people who were from uh, the Twin Cities and went on to. You know, great uh, success too, in in, in uh, on, on a national scale. Mm-hmm. Iron Sheik recently passed away. Uh, Jim Brunzel. You had Gagne's own son, Greg Gagne, mm-hmm. uh, and then other legends such as uh, Ricky Steamboat as well. Okay. All right, so Gagne's made this whole big promotion, American Wrestling Association. It's churning out people, you know, and it's and Ventura went through that system, right? Or at least he was part of the promotion, maybe not the school. So right? yeah, the, the the school was one thing. The promotion itself was also the form for a lot of people to, at the early stages of their career, kind of make it and you know develop their own characters, their skill uh-huh. sets, or just get on the radar of you know wider audience. So yeah, you certainly had Jesse Ventura. Mm-hmm. Um, you also had. You know Hulk Hogan, who would eventually go on to become you know synonymous with pro wrestling among even among people who don't even follow it at all. Right, and so that's a good segue to the sort of creation of a more national scene for wrestling, which was very kind of controversial in a sense. So Vince McMahon is a name people may know, kind of like Gagne. I mean, he's not a wrestler in the in the way Gagne was, but he is. Similar to Gagne, he's both the businessman and he's sort of a part of the show, right? right. Yeah. And so, but Vince McMahon kind of he changes the game here and and creates what we know today in a sense. So tell us a little bit about what happened there because this ends up being kind of the death knell of the AWA. Yeah. So Vince McMahon and he he, he took over for his father a promotion that uh, would go on to become WWF or be known as WWF and then certainly today known as WWE. That Which is was because of a lawsuit from the World Wildlife exactly. Foundation. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's the same organization. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. But this was very early '80s when this was happening, and uh, up until that point, wrestling being a territorial, regional-based enterprise, you'd have promoters in the respective regions agreeing to not infringe on each other's borders. They would even share talent, you know, and you know, swap uh, top stars to go and and star in those uh, in those areas for. Couple months at a time, 
But uh, you know, Vince McMahon starts to poach some of those top stars uh, for his own company. He would uh, also pay the the people that uh, you know the way that it worked at AWA at least. Vern Gagne was known for just basically having handshake deals with his with his talents to where you know they would just agree to you know I'll pay you this. You show up here. Um, but Vince McMahon started to uh, get into contracts with them and, and and would even pay them more than what they would have gotten on a given event uh, for, for Gagne and other promotions. He'd pay them more to stay home and not go there uh, until, you know, the contract was up. And I'm sure there's still a lot of bad blood about how this went down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it was something that he just sort of was ahead of the curve in that way, but he he's credited for basically killing off the, uh, the territory uh, mm-hmm. system there. Um, at that time, but in some ways, also then making pro wrestling into a much bigger. Well, yeah, thing. he he was he started to to harness, you know, closed circuit TV, cable television, mm-hmm. making making, you know, the WWF a national product, something that would you know broadcast everywhere. And I was even told that he would, uh, you know, in those early stages, would would even pay networks not to broadcast his competitors. Okay, and so Hogan is an example of one of these people who was with AWA and then yeah. gets pulled into WWF? Yeah, Hulk Hogan, um, again, obviously, pretty much everybody knows who he is, but at the t- you know, part of that is because of how successful he was in the early stages of his career, certainly in the early stages of Vince McMahon's ownership of, of WWF. He uh-huh. became a an absolute you know pivotal star for Vince McMahon to get WWF on such a national stage. Right. Before that, though, he was he was really coming into his own in the AWA and was one of the top draws there at the time and, okay. and, and was certainly on his way to where he would end up. And it just happened to be that you know, Vince McMahon took him and continued that story right. uh, in a way that was very lucrative to Vince McMahon and uh, happened to coincide with just this moment in time where the influence uh, or the, you know, there's like the, the vibrancy of these territorial uh, promotions, which is starting to be on on the way out. Right. And what's, again, just to put us all in a place in time here, what what is the general time frame where this transition is happening? Well, that's starting to happen early 80s. And, you know, by 1991, the AWA is done. Okay. And so keeping with the chronology here, there's a moment in, I think it's 95, the WWF gets some competition and it all happens. It all goes down at the Mall of America. <laughs> it's a Minnesota wrestling moment that we should talk about. This is WCW. Is that yeah, right? And that promotion had been around you know, quite a bit before then. However, the 1990s, the story of pro wrestling you know, history, you know, you know, that chapter is known for what's called the Monday Night Wars. So mm-hmm. you've got these weekly Monday night primetime wrestling shows that eventually most mostly would be live uh, on on the air uh, would go head to head and this all began uh, in 1995 with uh, WCW's uh, Monday Nitro premiering inside the uh, the Mall of America so now we're we're getting into you you have the AWA and it and it's deep influence on pro wrestling, but then Minnesota just continues to be over the years, uh-huh. you know, the site for quite, uh, you know, pivotal, but also just interesting little trivia facts like that too. Right. Okay. So the legacy of this sort of, you know, the, the heyday of wrestling in Minnesota still does live on today, not only on that national scene and how it influenced that, but then there's still wrestling, pro, you know, pro style wrestling, although it's maybe not the same as the big TV shows, mm-hmm. but there's still pro style wrestling happening here in Minnesota. Yeah, well, you know, certainly you've got the WWE coming to town quite regularly, as does one of its top competitors now called uh, All Elite Wrestling, which is AEW, uh, comes here quite a bit too. But 
on a more regular basis, you've got smaller promotions such as First Wrestling or Steel Domain Wrestling. They'll have events at breweries. Uh, they'll be at you know American Legions, VFWs. But in the case of First Wrestling, which was founded by uh, Eric Cannon, he is somebody, and just like the um, Ed Hellier of Steel Domain, who I interviewed for the story, both of them, they grew up watching AWA, mm-hmm. and that was what sunk its hooks into them as fans. And you know, this is how we get into the the, the long term, you know, influence of AWA. You know, influencing sort of the next generation. Right. And there's Minnesotans who are also going on to these national outlets, right? I mean, athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. You've got uh, Brock Lesnar, who went to the University of Minnesota and uh, started as a, as a, as a uh, collegiate wrestler there. Mm-hmm. He went on to, you know, one of the most lucrative careers, and he's still active, uh, but he and he's one of the top draws for the WWE. You've got Someone like uh, Gable Stevenson, who's trying to follow in that footsteps, he's just getting started. So the you know the jury is very much still out on whether he'll have a bright career. But yeah, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people who happen to be from Minnesota who are continuing on um, mm-hmm. their own careers as well. Okay, and so if people want to get some sense of what this all looks like, I would recommend going into the story and looking. There's a YouTube video we embedded on there. You've got Jesse Ventura, you got Vern Gagne, and you've got uh, Mad Dog Vachon and another wrestler. And there, you get a sense of what this all looked like. So I would just recommend checking that out. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. I think this is so fascinating, and I'm glad that you wrote the story for us. Thank you so much. Okay, that's it for today's show. Thanks, as always, to Matt Gilmer for editing this podcast. Do you have feedback for us or a question you'd like to see us tackle here at Curious Minnesota? Send it to curious at startribune.com. And if you're enjoying this show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.